little bit last Sunday, and I couldn't escape it, and I had told you I was going to have to preach about it, and so here we go, I'm going I'm to preach about it. Now, we talked a little bit about the woman caught in the act of adultery uh, there at the end of chapter 7, beginning of chapter 8, but uh, the more, I, more I, I studied it, the more I felt like we needed to revisit part of that, and so I want you to turn with me to the book of John chapter 7. Look at verse 1. After Jesus went about in Galilee, he would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths, your Bible may say the feast of tabernacles. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles or booths was at hand. And I, I want to tell you, I want, I want to stop right there for just a moment. The feast of tabernacles was an incredible event. Uh, we, we are not... I don't know of anyone here that, that is, is Jewish. Uh, surely, I, I'm pretty confident no one here has ever been a practicing uh, Jew. But the Jewish religion and the Jewish culture stemming back from the law that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai, it, it's amazing because it had so much symbolism and so many different feasts. You have the Feast of Pentecost. You had the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Tabernacles. You had a feast that was uh, after the harvest and all of these went on. The more I read in the Bible, the more I understand that these were not just supposed to be um, parties for the Jewish people, but they were symbolic that one day all of those feasts would come to pass. The Feast of Tabernacles was a time, it, 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 it can change, but I believe it happens around the September months. You know, and of course, they use a little bit different calendar than we do, but that booth, that, that Feast of Tabernacles, or Feast of Booths, a lot of things that would begin to happen during that time. One of the most, the, the main things is, is that all of the, the, the males, the male of the Jewish race, 12 years old and up, were required to make a trip back to Jerusalem. And so you can imagine Jerusalem would be just filled with people that were ready to go to this feast. And one of the things that was, was represented of this feast, the reason they call it the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles is because they would make these tents, these tabernacles, uh, these brush arbors, they would make it out in their yards. They would make it on the top of their houses, which was a common place. Their, their houses had flat roofs, and so people would go and gather up there on top of the roofs. It was like a courtyard, if you will. And so each family, and, and even those that were coming, they would make tents. They would make them with, with branches. They would make them with fabric. And for a week, they would live and operate uh, the majority of their time in those, those booths, those tents, what we call tabernacle. The word tabernacle is simply just another word, if you will, for a tent. They would eat in those tents. They would sleep at night in those tents. The only thing that had the potential to drive them out is if there was a bad rain. They, would, they were able to go back in, but as soon as it stopped raining, they would come back out. And they were remembering their time as Israelites in the wilderness where they lived in tents and they had to, to, to uh, endure the, the discomfort of not having a permanent dwelling place. And so they did that. During this, there were other things that would happen. There were things that would take place there at the, uh, at the tabernacle in the temple. 
one of the things that would take place uh, during this, and I, I don't have time to go into it uh, at all, but the, they, they would have sacrifices. If I understand my study correctly, on the first day of that feast, they would offer 13 bulls upon the altar. On the second day, they would offer 12. On the third day, 11. The fourth day, 10. The fifth day, 9. The sixth day, 8. The seventh day, 7. And on the eighth day, the last day, they would offer 1. It was a lot of pomp, a lot of circumstance. Some of my research would indicate that there would be a, a blast of a trumpet upon the pinnacle of the temple that would start this all off. It was an amazing thing. Now I want to just take you for just a moment. Would you go back to John chapter 7 and would you join with me into the book of John chapter 7 verse 37. Now you and I, you've heard me preach about this, but I want to just revisit it for a moment and set the stage for everything else that's going to fall into place. And on the last day of the feast, that great day, Jesus stood up and cried, If anyone thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. For whosoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Belly doesn't mean the belly we think about. It's just another word for heart, if you will. Out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now this said he about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not yet been given and because Jesus was not yet glorified. You've heard me talk about it. This was not just a random saying of Jesus. Jesus didn't do anything by accident. Jesus planned carefully the words that he was going to say. Because on that last day of that feast, something would begin to happen. They would carry each day of that feast of tabernacle. There was a water ceremony in which the priests and a procession of, of worshipers would leave the, te the temple and they would go down to a spring in which the pool of Siloam was a part of. And, and there they would pour, there were other times they would pour wine upon the altar, but they would go and they would dip a golden pitcher in that pool of Siloam and they would go and they would pour it there. And as they did it, they would chant Isaiah chapter 12. And they would say, In that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee, though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation, and I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. Therefore with joy shall you draw water out of these wells of salvation. And in that day you shall say praise the Lord. Call upon his name. Declare his doings among the people. Make mention that his name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord for he hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout thou inhabitants of Zion. For for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. They would begin to, to read that and, and, and quote that and sing that. The crowd would follow. They were carrying tree branches. Uh, some say they were willow branches. Other indications say that they were palm branches. In another hand, they would hold citrus branches. And they would shake these as they would sing. And they would dance. And that procession would go back to the temple. And that priest would climb up the steps of the altar. And would pour the water he had pull, pulled out of that uh, pool of Siloam. And there it would happen. On the seventh day of that feast, he would do it seven times. 
we, we look at here in, in America, there's different parades, the Thanksgiving parade and there's St. Patrick's parades, but in Israel the parades were always connected to events that were in the Word of God. And so it would have been much like a, a parade. Music and singing and shouting, people would line and they would watch this parade come by. Jesus was sitting there somewhere in the temple proper and during that time he had watched six times that priest bring a pitcher of water and, and, and dump it. But that last time something got a hold of Jesus and he stood up as that priest walked by with that golden pitcher and he said, if any man thirst, let him come unto me. For as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And lest anybody would doubt what Jesus was referring to, he said, This spake he of the Spirit, that they that believeth on him should receive. But the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Some say that this procession of getting the water out of the pool of Siloam was, was a reminder of how when they were in the desert, in the wilderness, and water uh, uh, was scarce, that God allowed Moses at one time to speak to a rock and another time to smack the rock, and water would flow out of a rock that quenched the thirst of those thirsty Israelites. And so it is that probably as they were doing that, people were remembering the stories passed down that in a dry, dusty desert place where their ancestors had been parched and dying of thirst miraculously water came to quench them Dennis Davison said it this way why is it that we keep seeking for something to satisfy us the answer is simple it's because we have to you and I are a thirsty people we long for a deep satisfaction, the kind that makes our insides very alive, that makes us in a, in, an enriched people. We thirst deep down in our souls, down at the core of who we are. We desperately want something, and we want it legitimately, something we don't have, something that involves us with someone who truly accepts us. Now that's a little bit of a psychological an analysis of life. All of us are seeking to be accepted. All of us are seeking something that satisfies us. It's why the drug epidemic is running rampant. It's why promiscuity and affairs and fornication and adultery run rampant. It's because there is something inside the hearts of every person that longs to be filled. And unfortunately, mankind tries to fill it with everything but the one thing that can, it, that can fill it. Whether we realize it or not, your soul longs for God's presence. Whether you understand it or not, your soul cries out for the water that Jesus spoke of all the way back into the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve had a relationship with God. It is the theme that has to go from Genesis to Revelation. Everything about the Bible that you hold in your hand, whether wrapped in leather or wrapped in an iPhone or Android case, everything about that Bible points to the fact that Jesus Christ loves you and wants a relationship with you and he wants to be with you. Sin separates us from the love of God Sin, or, 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 or separates us from the presence of God. It cannot separate us from the love of God. The Bible says nothing shall separate us from his love. But sin separates us from his presence. 
In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden because they had sinned. A great chasm, a great uh, a gulf existed between man and God. Everything that you see in Moses' law, everything in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, all of that was so that mankind could have a relationship with God, but they blew it. They couldn't handle it. They couldn't do it. Everything that God wanted them to do, they might could do it a little bit, but if you look in Galatians, if you look at other places, it says that it is humanly impossible to do everything the law said to do. And so it was that God became man. That the very God in whom longed for a relationship with you and I said, I will do the one thing that can bridge the gap. I will become like them so that one day they could become like me. And so Jesus is sitting there in that tabernacle and he talks about that water. Now you and I, we understand it. We sing worship songs like, Rain, Lord. We sing songs like, Flood us. Open the floodgates of heaven. We understand that analogy. Lord, I'm thirsty. But when I received the Holy Ghost, I got something that changed me. It's what Jesus told the woman at the well in John chapter 4 when he was sitting there on Jacob's well. And that woman of Samaria came to draw out water. And he said unto that woman, Would you give me something to drink? The woman who was a Sumerian woman, they, there was a lot of discord, even racism, if you will, against between the Jews and the Sumerians. And so it was that this, it, it, it threw that woman of Samaria off because she couldn't understand how in the world a, a Jewish man and a Jewish rabbi would ever stoop to talk to a lowly Samaritan woman. But Jesus looked at her and he said, if you understood who you were talking to, you would ask me, would you give me some living water that I could drink and never thirst again? That woman, she didn't understand it. It did not compute with her. She was still thinking in the physical, but God was talking in the spiritual. He said there is going to come a day when you can draw something from the well of salvation that will forever satisfy that longing in your soul and you won't have to look anywhere else. The water that you can drink and never thirst again is called the Holy Ghost. Now, I've preached that, and, 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 and I'm going to stop it right there, that analogy, because I, I've preached it. I don't want to uh, hang out in that analogy of living water uh, much longer. But I found something very interesting, that this was not the only analogy in that Feast of Tabernacles that, that pointed them towards the infilling of God's Spirit on the day of Pentecost. I want to take you on a journey. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to the book of Exodus, the very last chapter? In the book of Exodus, you 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 found all of the things and 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 God has given the law there to Moses. Look at verse four or chapter 40 of Exodus. God has given Moses all of the law. You know, he's going up there in the mountain, and and you know, we see the 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 old uh Ten Commandments movie where he carves out the stones and he gets that. Then, of course, Moses comes down and all the people are dancing naked around a golden calf. That's how, how quickly they lost their relationship with God. 
Moses gets mad, he shatters the stones and he makes them drink it and a great plague comes and then he has to to save them and then he has to go back up the mountain, talk to God and God gives him the the, the law, adds to it and he comes back down and tells them how to build the tabernacle, how to build all of the parts, the altar, the table of incense, the golden candlestick and now here around verse 40, the tabernacle, or chapter 40, the tabernacle is... Erected. Would you look with me at verse 32? They went into the tent of meeting and they approached the altar and they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and he set up the screen of the gate of the court and Moses finished the work. Would you, would you join with me in that dusty place? Where they have built this tabernacle, the outside is covered with hair and badger skin and leather. The inside, those that were privileged to see, it would have been amazing. It was was linen, it was blue cloth, it it was golden and silver thread. And it was golden candlesticks and golden lavers and an altar of incense and an ark of the covenant. And there was an altar, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful place. But look at verse 34 of Exodus chapter 40. And the cloud covered the tent of meeting. This is the cloud that when the children of Israel had left Egypt, that they didn't know where they were going. And so the Bible says that at night, a pillar of fire would lead the way. And during the day, a pillar of cloud would lead the way. And they would follow that. And when they, when they would stop, it would stop in the middle of the encampment. Well, now, in the middle of that encampment, on top of that tabernacle, the cloud covered the tent. Now watch this. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord had filled the tabernacle it was a mo- had to have been an incredible thing This was not just simply a a reverence that says Moses could not enter. There was something about it for the first time in centuries and probably even longer than that, for the first time God had inhabited a place where humanity was and Moses could not even minister in the tabernacle for a moment because God was in there. It was a glorious thing. You had to imagine it filled that house from that time for centuries later they existed with that tabernacle they wandered the tabernacle went with them across the the Jordan River that tabernacle was present when they encamped and they tried and they they went to uh, uh, destroy Canaan's land and and uh, Jericho and all of those other places Finally, when they were able to settle in the promised land that God had given them that temple or that tabernacle was there There was a period of time where the tabernacle kind of got forgotten. People got caught up in all of their their idolatry and all of that. But still, it was there. They lost the ark for years. David brought it back. David so desired to to, uh, build a more permanent place for God. But God had said, no, David, you're a bloody man. You've had some issues in your life. I'm not going to allow you to build me a permanent dwelling place. I'll allow you to gather all the material. I'll allow you to gather everything you need. But it's going to be your son Solomon that will ultimately build me my permanent dwelling place. And so it was that, that Moses 
had built the, t- the tabernacle and now Solomon comes along and he builds this incredible golden palace. He builds an incredible temple. It's amazing. You look through it, all of the things that were there, the grandeur of it. It was stunning. It was spectacular. And in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 7, I want you to see what happens. In that, you have a, uh, if you would go back and look at Second Chronicles 2 and 3 and 4 and 5, you would see prayers and dedications and everything that was going to happen. But in chapter 7 of Second Chronicles, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifice. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple and the priests could not enter in the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. And when all of the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground and on the pavement and they worshipped and they gave thanks unto the Lord saying, For he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. It was a, a, a symbolic moving of God's presence from a, a temporary dwelling there of a tent to now a dwelling in a permanent place. Do you see the similarities? In the tabernacle, the glory of the Lord descended and they, it was so strong they could not hardly move. Here in Solomon's uh, uh, tab, uh, temple, you find the glory of the Lord not only descends, but it comes with fire and it burnt up the sacrifice. You say, how does this all mesh and deal with? Well, that, that, tabern- or that, that feast of tabernacles was representative of a lot of things. But in it, there were three groups of people that I have found that were there. Three groups, three ceremonies that took place as long as the temple of God would stand. During those seven days, even eight days, if you count that last one, those three priests would gather, or those three divisions of priests. The first would stay in the temple. And they would shout the Hallel, which is a, a, a worship and a glorification of God. There was a Levitical choir that stayed there in the temple proper. And every day and even sometimes through the night, I was, I was reading in some of my, my research, and it's hard to put it all together because everybody uh, seems to have a, a small differentiation. But it seems that during part of this, the priest was not even allowed to sleep. He had to stay busy and so they would have to nudge him awake if he got tired. They would have to make sure that he was performing his duties. It was a solemn understanding. And so can you imagine what it would have been like to be around the temple during that Feast of Tabernacles and there would have been worship and music playing and it was glorifying God. It was an incredible thing. I've already told you about the third group, the group of priests and those attendants that would go down to the, the pool of Siloam and come back up with that, that, that golden pitcher of water and pour it there. But there was another group that, that we've not talked about. This group, this division of priests would go down into the Kindred Valley on the north side of that temple and they would cut down huge branches. Some say they were willow branches, but I'm also seeing they may have been palm branches. But needless to say, they were huge. Some people say it was 25 to 30 feet tall branches. 
And they would gather those branches and they would walk back into the temple. And there around that, that, that temple, they would wave those branches over the altar of sacrifice. And the theologians will tell me and the archaeologists will say that what they were doing is they were symbolizing the sound that they heard when the glory of God came into the tabernacle. And they were symbolizing the sound that they heard when the glory of God descended in the temple. They said there was something that happened when the glory of God entered and it filled the house. It sounded like a wind. And they would gather those big branches and they would wave them. It makes me remember uh, another place in the Bible. It seems to recall in John chapter 3, the Bible begins to say that Jesus told Nicodemus and he said, you must be born of the water and of the spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Now Nicodemus, I know this blows your mind and you don't understand it. How can you be born again? Do you have to go back into your mother's womb? You, I know, Nicodemus, it doesn't make sense to you now. But marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. Watch this. For the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from, and you do not know where it goes. So it is with everyone that is born of the Spirit. There will be a sound from heaven. Can I remind you that on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, and they were all in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it sat down upon each of them and they were all filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Can I tell you today that what happened on the day of Pentecost, they would have known immediately what just took place. Remember, the day of Pentecost was reserved for the Jews. Later on in the book of Acts, the Gentiles begin to receive it. But on the day of Pentecost, it was 120 Jewish people. There were the 11 original disciples, and then they had, had chapter 1 tells us, or the book of Acts tells us that they had appointed another one to take the place of Judas the traitor. They were gathered there. Other disciples were gathered there. Women were gathered there. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. Probably Mary and Martha of Lazarus' family were probably there. Who knows, maybe even Zacchaeus was there. Those that God had touched, 120 had gathered there. And they would have known, and perhaps it was as they sat there and they began to recall. Do you remember? Do you remember when Jesus, we were sitting there around that temple during that Feast of Tabernacles, do you remember when Jesus, he, he stood up and he hollered and he said, hey, stop for a sec. Remember when that priest kind of ground to a halt holding that golden pitcher of water and Jesus said that, that, that pretty soon out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. You remember that? And they begin to say, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and you remember how, how, how they would sing in the tabernacle and they would praise and they would worship? Yep, I remember that too. It was a mighty noise that would issue forth out of that temple. Oh, man. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be there at Moses' dedication of the tabernacle and watch the glory of God descend down? Can you imagine what it would have sounded like? 
Can you imagine what it would have been like to have been present when Solomon dedicated his temple and there were thousands upon thousands of oxen and, 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 and goats that were sacrificed and lambs. But man, what a time it must have been when God came down and, and just swooshed in and fire fell from heaven and it lapped up the sacrifice and, and the sound. Man, the closest thing we have is being able to be around and maybe some of the men could go into the temple. Uh, The closest thing we've ever seen to that are those people holding those branches and making a noise. But it's just not the same. Because I long to be filled. I know it's only been a couple months since Jesus left us, but there's a hole in me. Peter, I, I miss walking with Jesus. I, I miss hearing him. I understand now that he was God manifest in the flesh. Oh, I would give anything, Peter. I would give anything, John, to be back in his presence. What are we going to do? How are we ever going to live? He's in heaven now. How are we ever going to live without his presence? What are we going to do? And I don't know, maybe John said, I have no earthly idea. But he told us to wait in Jerusalem and he told us to tarry until the promise comes. He said that one day he would send a comforter in his name. It's going to be him. I don't know how it's going to be. Maybe he'll show up like he did after he had resurrected and he just walks through the walls and shows it there. Maybe while we're worshiping here in this upper room. He'll show up. And suddenly, there came a sound. I don't know if it registered right away on those that were there. I don't know if they got it right away. But there came a sound as a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the house where they were sitting. And you had to think for a moment. They begin to look back and say, hey, the house is filled. It's just like Moses' tabernacle and it's just like uh, Solomon's temple. The house is filled. We're in his presence. We can see it. We we feel it. It's incredible. But God said no longer. Am I just going to put my presence around you? No longer are you going to stand on the outside looking in and say, oh, the power of God, the presence of God, the glory of God is in the temple or the glory of God is in the tabernacle for the Bible said fire fell in that upper room and it was like cloven tongues. It was like you know little burning fires on top of their head and they were all filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and God said, no longer will I dwell in tabernacle made by men's hands no longer will I dwell in temples that mankind form but now I will dwell in the hearts of men for you are the temple of the almighty God for you are the tabernacle the dwelling place of the almighty God he said no longer am I going to separate my presence from you by a veil but instead I'm going to live with you and I'm going to put my spirit in your heart and everywhere you go you're going to be in the presence of God and out of of your belly out of your heart shall flow rivers of living water and you will never thirst again when you take a a taste of God's presence all of a sudden the sin that used to grab a hold of you no longer has any power when God fills you with his spirit every addiction breaks when God fills you with his spirit you don't need to drink from something else you have the living water you drink and never thirst again 
I'm talking to somebody right now. You woke up this morning and you were empty. You woke up this morning and you were hungry. You woke up this morning and you said, God, is there anything for me? How do I know these things? It's simple. I've been where you've been. I've been where you've been when nothing satisfies. Somebody said, I think it's Max Licato. Some, I believe it was him. He said everybody's born with a God-shaped hole in their heart. They'll try to fill it with everything else, but nothing fills it. It's kind of like trying to shove a round peg into a square hole. It might go in there, but it doesn't fit. And so, you've walked in this building lonely. You've walked in this building depression gripping your life. You've walked into this building with addictions that's racked your body that you can't escape and the doctors and the, the psychologists and the, all of the rehab places says it's just simply a sickness you'll never get over it. Can I tell you, while I understand the physiology of what an addiction is, I will tell you today it's not a sickness. It's a sin. You've ran over to every house you can imagine. You've slept with everyone you can find a way to sleep with. Yet nothing satisfies. But I've walked you into the presence of God here today. We've worshipped. We've exalted Him. And I believe no longer do I have to carry a tree branch in here to symbolize what God wants to do because He's here right now. He wants to move in your place, in your heart. And He wants to fill you with everything He used to fill tabernacles and temples. And he says, I want my presence to be in you. The peace that passeth all understanding. The comforter that comforts you from life's ebbs and life's trials. One that can walk with you. You must be born of the water and of the Spirit. See, nothing in the Bible takes its, its, its words by accident. Jesus knew exactly why that, that ceremony was so important. Because the same golden pitcher ceremony of, of dipping the water out of the pool and carrying it in was symbolic of the rock that, that was struck and, and water flowed that, that, that supported those children of Israel in that dusty desert. But later on in other verses you find that that rock that was struck in the desert was symbolic of one rock named Jesus Christ who was struck and out of his side flowed blood. Oh, I see a crimson stream. That blood that never loses its power. That blood that's still here today to cover all sin. And a spirit here today to fill you. To overflowing. So that you can say, Lord, with joy shall I draw out of the well of salvation. Would you stand today? I hear a sound. I hear a sound. It says on the day of Pentecost, the rushing mighty wind came, the fire fell, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. All of those were simply evidences of what God had already done. So today I'm talking to somebody here. You need His presence in your life. The best thing I know to do is you can do as they did. 
Every time I have seen the glory of God fall, whether it's in Moses' tabernacle, Solomon's temple, or whether it was at the day of Pentecost, there was one thing they all did. They were worshiping Him. For the Bible says that the God inhabits the praises of His people. He longs to be with those that worship Him. He longs to be with those that are willing to make a joyful noise unto Him. And so today, if you're here and you're empty, if today you're here and you're hungry for something that, that is not found at a restaurant or found at a grocery store, something that can fill that longing in your heart where sin has abounded, His grace doth much more abound. And so today, the simplest thing you can do is you can repent of your sins. For when the day of Pentecost had fully come and they got out there and all of the, the people that were gathered around, they heard it, they, they, they were on the outskirts, they were onlookers seeing what was happening there in that upper room. They came out and they said, what in the world is going on? It sounded like something crazy happening in there. And Peter comes and he begins to preach. When he got done, they said, what do we do? How do we, how do we handle this? How do we respond to what the preacher said? Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission, the removal of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promise is unto you, it's to your children, it's to your children's children, it's even to all that are afar off, as many as the Lord our God shall call and the Bible says that the Lord has called all. You just have to receive it. And so today you're here and I want to invite you to come. I want to invite us all to come from the front to the back. And you can walk in the presence of God. And you can begin to worship Him. And you can let His Spirit blow into your heart. And you can let His glory come down. And the fire of His Spirit, John the Baptist said that there will come one after Him whose shoes He was unworthy to bear. But He will not baptize you with just water, but He will baptize you with fire and the Holy Ghost. And that's here today. Would you lift your hands and would you let his presence flow? Oh, in the name of Jesus, I'm asking that you would do what you did in the tabernacle, in the temple, what you did on the day of Pentecost. Lord, would you fill each and every person here right now? Would you fill them with your spirit, the gift of the Holy Ghost, I pray right now? And would you move in Jesus' name? In Jesus' name. There 